first thing is to keep your eyes peeled and your gut instinct on and just look out for what talks to you in general, right? Where's your passion in general? Be in touch with yourself and notice what's talking to you and what's resonating with you. And also doing the same in your experience of your Yiddishkeit. Where is the thing that I could get really hooked on? And then when you find it, run with it. Let yourself explore it. Let yourself learn more about it. Let yourself invest in it. Hi, I'm Tanya, and you are listening to episode 21 of Human and Holy, a podcast by The Tanya Project, where we discuss spiritual ideas in human terms. Today's episode is sponsored by Emily Sperber, in memory of her father, David Sperber. Thank you, Emily, for making today's episode happen, and may the learning done through today's episode be an aliyah for your father's soul. To sponsor an episode or become a supporter on Patreon, please reach out at humanandholy at gmail.com. So here's something I've been wanting to talk about for a little while. In a podcast about God, it's inevitable that you will hear a constant push and pull between two seemingly opposing concepts, yeshus and bittel, a strong sense of self and a strong sense of humility. I don't think it'll ever stop coming up one way or another, because to be human in relationship with an infinite God is to constantly lean against the border of your own limitations as you strive to merge your own reality with God's. There are times when we close our eyes and take the plunge, even when the water is cold. And there are times when we coax ourselves with compassion and take it really slowly, dipping one toe in at a time. Today, I bring you a beautiful, soulful conversation I had with Menucha Schwartz about a Hasidic discourse of the Alter Rebbe, where he makes the case for the importance of a sense of self in our relationship with God, not as an end unto itself, but as a vehicle that takes us where we need to go. We explore why the word yeshus might not actually be the big bad word in godly service, and what it looks like to allow your sense of self to evolve as your reality becomes more aligned with God's. This episode is personal, deeply human, and echoed in all my inner chambers. It addresses the pressing question, is finding myself within my Judaism a selfish pursuit, or perhaps, is it the secret to an everlasting relationship? Hi, I'm Anucha Schwartz. I live in New Haven. I have three little kids, and I'm a teacher. I've been a teacher for six years now. I've taught Chumash, Halacha, Tanya, Mimer, high school, middle school, so a little bit of different things. I guess that's a little about me. Curriculum writer. Sorry. (laughs) I also worked with Batshava Learning Center. I developed two halacha curriculums for them. 
they were big projects, but they were really, really exciting to do. And I really loved it. Okay, awesome. I'm so excited to have you here. I feel like you have so much to give, like you're so rich with depth and meaning and also just in a way that like really feels so true to who you are. So I'm really, really excited. I'm going to ask you to start by just explaining the concept that we're going to be exploring a little bit today, just as a pure concept. Okay, so this concept comes from a mimer of the altar, I bet. It's in Tyra R. And it's really about the role that Yeshus plays in our Vaidas Hashem. So before we even get into it, I think what's so cool about this mimer is that it sounds like the opposite of what Chassidus is constantly telling us. Like Chassidus is constantly over and over again talking about Bittal in one way or a different way. We're all about Bittal. And I think this mimer is so grounded and it's a concept that's so really, I guess, human. And it's so cool to me that the Alter Rebbe, like this is generations ago, you know, it's not for our 21st century generation. It was back in the times of the Alter Rebbe, this was wow. important. So I think it's really cool for that reason. So just to get into the Mimer, the Mimer is based off a of Gemara from Masecha Saita. And the whole page of the Gemara is talking about arrogance or haughtiness. And there's a line in the Gemara, which this Mimer is based off of, which says that a Talmud Chacham, needs to have an eighth of an eighth, so 164th of gasas haruach, which means arrogance or haughtiness. And this haughtiness crowns him like the husk of a kernel of wheat crowns the wheat kernel. Wow. So obviously this is a little bit of an enigmatic statement, and there are definitely mafarshim who give all kinds of different explanations, but the Altarab is going to explain this in the context of our relationship with Hashem and our Avedis Hashem. So the first thing we need to do is just define our terms, right? There's a lot going on in that very cryptic line from the Gemara. And the first thing we have is a Talmud Chacham, right? Who is this Talmud Chacham that the Gemara is talking about? So Talmud literally means student. A student is someone who's in pursuit of something that they're lacking, right? It could be knowledge or whatever it is. But if I'm a student of something, that's something I'm lacking that I'm searching for. And the student in our Gemara is a student of Chachma. Chachma is literally wisdom, but the way that Hasidus explains Chachma is that Chachma is the ability of our mind to really, really open itself up to a concept that is totally new to us. It's our ability to completely put aside our preconceived notions and say, whatever this thing is, I'm willing to hear it. I'm willing to be open to it and understand it on its terms, even if it completely challenges everything I know already. That's why the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya, Chachma is the letters of Kayachma, which means the power to say what, like, what is this? And to really, really be open to the answer. And in Chassidus, Chachma is associated with Bittal. So let's get a definition of Bittal here. Bittal is the idea of seeing something in the context of something greater. So I know we often translate Bittal as nullification, and I think it's a little bit misleading because to nullify something kind of means to like push it away, to get rid of it, to negate it somehow. And I think the bittal that Chassidus is talking about is not about pushing something away as much as it is seeing something in a bigger context. Mm. So bittal means, right, instead of seeing myself as the main character of my own life, I see myself as part of a supporting character in Hashem's life, right? I'm, I'm focused on something greater. And this is really the reality of our godly soul. Our godly soul is way too busy being preoccupied with God to really notice itself very much. 
And even though that feels totally removed from our experience of ourselves, I think it's important to mention here that that reality is actually something that dwells inside of us. It's not just in theory is our godly soul and that's its reality and that lives inside of our animal soul and our psyche and that lives in our body. So that experience of reality is within us deep, deep down. So to circle back to our Gemara, right? We have a Talmud Chacham. So he's a student of Chachma. In this case, someone who's in pursuit of Chachma, of Bittal. Someone who's in pursuit of letting that voice be the way they approach their life, being the way they see the world. And the Altar says, this is someone who's at the beginning of their Avodah Sashem. They're starting out. They're like, you know, this is something I want to I get, get in on. I want to get started. Now what? So what does the Gemara say this Talmud Chacham is supposed to do? They're supposed to have an eighth of an eighth of gasos haruach, of arrogance, of yeshus. And I think to define yeshus, yeshus is really a sense of self-importance, right? I matter. I'm significant. How I feel about things matters. What mm. I do is important. The things that I accomplish are real accomplishments. It's that sense that, like, I'm important. I'm significant. It's not necessarily I'm better than you, or it's not arrogance in that sense. It's just this sense of self-importance, which I think we can all comfortably relate to. (laughs) (laughs) What the altar is starting to tell us here is somehow in the pursuit of Bittal, we are going to need some yeshus. What's going to be our relationship with this yeshus, with this self-importance? So the Gemara continues and says, this gasas haruach, this arrogance or self-importance crowns the Talmud Chacham like the husk of a kernel of wheat crowns the wheat. Just to talk for a minute about the wheat kernel, right? The way that wheat grows is each little kernel has a husk, a shell around it that protects it while it grows. Obviously, when it's time to harvest the wheat, there's a whole process of the threshing and winnowing and whatever that gets rid of that husk and it basically becomes garbage, right? No one's, no one's interested in the husks. But at the same time, even though this husk is garbage and is kind of worthless in that sense, it's very obvious that without the husk, you would never get a healthy, ripe kernel of wheat, right? What would happen to a kernel of wheat on a stalk without a husk? It would get burnt up by the sun. It would shrivel and dry up or it would get rotten from the rain. It wouldn't be able to grow. So I guess as a farmer, we can play a mind game here. As a farmer, your relationship to the husk is very interesting. On the one hand, it's super important. You really, really need it to get to your end product. At the same time, no farmer is going to fool himself into thinking that there is some kind of absolute value in the husk. So that's kind of the framework that the Alter Rebbe uses for how we should relate to our yeshas. Interesting. Let's go back to the nimshal now, right? We are this Talmud Chacham, this person who's starting off their journey in Avedis Hashem, this person feels like I want to start seriously engaging my relationship with Hashem, my Yiddishkeit, my Avedis Hashem, whatever way you want to frame it. What do I do? Where do I start? The Altar Rebbe tells us that the place to start is with Yeshus. And what does that mean, right? What does that look like? It means that this is something that matters to me. It's important to me. It speaks to me. It's meaningful to me. It resonates with me. It's something I'm passionate about, something I care about. It's something that I'm ready to show up to fully. It's important to me in the same way that anything else in my life that's important to me matters, right? Whatever it is, if it's a hobby or a career or a project, the things in our life that we care about, 
we genuinely actually care about them on a very simple human level. They're important. We like it. It matters to us. It's just something that speaks to us. And the altar is saying, that's what you need to bring to your Avaidus Hashem, right? You're starting out. That little voice of your Nefesh kiss that's deep, deep down inside of you, it's not strong enough yet to kind of run the show. It needs this nurturing space like the husk creates for the wheat kernel for it to be able to grow and develop. And when our regular human psyche, right, our animal soul is on board and is passionate and is excited about serving God, and we can talk more about what that looks like when we get there, that creates this safe space and it protects our godly soul and helps us nurture it and start to be able to let that voice get louder and louder until we can actually let it guide us and let it kind of slip through into our consciousness. Just like the wheat kernel, right? We have to keep bouncing back to this. This yeshos, this sense of like self-importance that I feel in my Avaidah Hashem, that I feel like I'm accomplishing something with my davening or with my learning or with my mitzvahs, or this really matters to me and I'm into it because I think it's so meaningful or whatever it is. That's our husk. So Again, we have those two sides of the coin where on the one hand, without this, the kernel will will rot. And we can talk about what that means for our godly soul. But at the same time, if I get too lost in it, too lost in my yeshus, it's going to cause problems too, right? Imagine if the time came to harvest the wheat and the farmer was like, ah, you know, I got really emotionally attached to this husk. I'm not sure I want to throw it out. Maybe Mm. we can just hang on to it, right? That's really obvious to us in the mushal that that would be a stupid thing to do. And you're not going to be able to profit from your crop and you're not going to be able to mill it into flour and you're, you're just losing the whole point. Right. We have to watch out for that, that we can't get too lost in our own yeshas. We have to kind of see it for what it is and know that the way in which this is meaningful to me is not the ultimate truth of what Hashem is or what Tyra is. But at the same time, I can't for a second let myself lose sight of how important it is Mm. to have that. And I guess to move for a second to what happens if we don't have it, the altar of says about the wheat kernel, two options, right? Either it's going to shrivel and die from the sun, it's going to get burnt from heat, or it's going to rot from the rain, from the coldness. So the same thing will happen to us. If we're approaching our Yiddishkeit without that sense of personal engagement and without that personal investment and just genuinely caring about it and being interested in it and it being important to us, and we're approaching it from a place of this is absolute truth and I guess I'm supposed to do it even though it doesn't really talk to me or it feels more disconnected from us, what's going to happen when we confront a really strong temptation, right? A taiva. There's something that's really calling our name. It could be money or honor or power or just a physical desire, right? A taiva has a certain heat to it, like the sun. And it's really pulling us. And it it speaks to me, right? That me on a human level, who I am, this taiva is calling my name. And if I don't have a human personal sense of why my connection to Hashem is equally, if not more important to me, what's going to stop me from falling into that taiva? What am I going to hold on to? So if I don't have that, this is really important to me and it's more important to me than my physical fleeting desires, right? It's game over. And the same thing goes the other way with the rain, the kernel of wheat rotting, it's cold. 
what else could happen. If this is something, again, that doesn't talk to me, I don't really care about it that much. I'm doing it because I know I should care about it, or it's what I was raised to do, or whatever it is, what's going to motivate me? I'm going to become cold. I'm going to be lazy. I'm going to be disinterested. I'm not going to have that push and that passion to grow and engage and do more because it just doesn't talk to me. And so we just become, the ultra abuses the word lazy, but I think it's, it's really like disinterested and unmotivated and just apathetic. I wish everyone could see me right now because I've literally been like enthusiastically nodding the whole time. I feel like the metaphor keeps getting more beautiful and more rich in reflecting our experience. The idea that you need the husk, that the husk is not the main point, but you still need the husk. Even if you wouldn't call the husk the value of the wheat at the same time, in order for the wheat to experience any type of growth, that husk needs to be there. The Gemara itself, to me, seems so radical. Like you said, it pushes an idea that we don't usually talk about as something that's Hasidic. We say, listen, the ultimate is Bittel. The Yeshus, like, you have it. So whatever. Like, let's just not talk about it. Here, it's like, no. If you are not personally engaged and present and excited and on fire about your Yiddish guy and your relationship with God, then it's going to be a constant fight. Yeah, exactly. Is this something that's outside of me that I'm trying to live up to in some kind of detached way? Or is this genuinely who I am? Is this something that I care about? Mm-hmm. And I think to carry it forward to the end, that just like with the wheat, the ultimate goal is to shed the husk. When we do let ourselves get involved in that kind of a human way, that creates space for us to slowly, slowly start to integrate that voice of Bittal. Mm-hmm. And we can't get there without it. But the goal is to get there. And I think it's important to say, like, we can. The whole point here is not to kind of push Bittal out of the picture, but it's really giving us a path to that Bittal, which is, again, it's inside of us. And if we can nurture that voice, it will slowly start to trickle into our consciousness and we can integrate it more into how we make decisions and how we see ourselves and how we see the world. And I think this is really the the key of the eighth of an eighth of Yesha, so 64th, right? Which is that it has to be enough to create this safe space, but it can't be too much that it starts to get in the way. If we get to the point of really, I should be starting to let my godly soul's voice in a little bit more, but I've gotten so lost and wrapped up into why I think this is important and how this is enhancing me and making me a better, more accomplished, more spiritual person now it's not a safe space anymore because I've closed the door to letting that voice grow, that voice of Bittal. So it's like, it's like a balancing act. Yeah. And I think that's so true about the human evolution in general is that when it comes to our growth in our Yiddishkeit, if it is about integration and integrating godly ideas into our own human psyche, then in the beginning, I think the husk will look a certain way. Then as the kernel grows, the husk will change. The husk will be willing to let itself be reborn and to have a new husk. And the human self never leaves the picture. But if the human self is really just an eighth of an eighth, then it's open to evolving. Exactly. Yeah. It changes. It becomes more subtle or more refined with us as we grow. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to ask you when in your life this idea really began to hit home for you in a personal way when it was something that 
I mean, it's already such a practical idea, but when specifically in your life did you experience it? I actually learned this mimer for the first time in seminary. And it's funny because when I sat in that class and this was a teacher that I loved, I just didn't get what it was about. I remember leaving the class feeling kind of confused, like, what was his point? I don't know. I just, it didn't, it didn't hit me. And at the same time, that whole year in seminary, obviously we were learning so many deep ideas, you know, day in, day out, class after class after class, there's a teacher teaching you these amazing concepts and we're learning all of these things. And throughout the year, I started to notice that it felt a little bit disconnected for me. It felt like all of these things that I'm learning are so absolutely true on some kind of objective plane. And there's no way this can touch my reality as a person. And I started to approach things that way, just in my mind, where it was like, Chassidus has this ideal that I'm supposed to live up to, and I'll never be that. So it created this split for me, I think, where it felt like there's this truth and there's this reality that's so amazing and also so beyond me. And there's me and I'm just not there and I'll never be there. And I remember getting home that summer after seminary and just taking stock and noticing like I felt so disconnected and unmotivated and disinterested in my Yiddishkeit. And it was kind of shocking to me because to backtrack a year, I had left 12th grade, which was a really transformative year for me. So on fire and so excited to learn Chassidus and grow and connect to Hashem. And and here I was a year later feeling so kind of lost. Um, and it was at some point over that summer that I realized what this mimer was about. And I think I also realized why I hadn't gotten it at the time was because I was missing that piece. I was missing that husk of this is connected to me and it speaks to me and it's meaningful to me. And I remember what I noticed was I, I felt not just detached from my Yiddishkeit, but also detached from myself. And I think that in, in seeing this kind of ideal picture of who I thought I should be and the fact that I wasn't that, I lost sight of who I was. And I, I, to be honest, I don't know if I should announce this to the world, but a lot of my summer that, that year was letting go of some of the things that I had taken on not halacha, but just extra things that I had taken on and just letting that go and really trying to reconnect to who I was just as a human being, as a person, old hobbies, things I used to enjoy, just trying to kind of reconnect to my sense of passion and enjoyment and what spoke to me in, in general in life. After that summer was over, I actually went to my, you know, as a shulcha the next year. And I, I felt like I was kind of open to trying to start again. And like, rebuild the picture. To begin with, I think the whole approach of learning in my note is very grounded in who you are. That was really helpful for me. Very quickly in the beginning of the year, I came across this way of explaining Dira Patech Tainim. Um, it was not a way I'd ever thought of it before. And it really, really spoke to me. I felt like if this is what Hashem was looking for in a Dira Patech Tainim, like that's what I'm looking for in my life. Like I get it. Wow. If that's what God wants, like I'm on board. And I became so passionate about it and it it just resonated with me so deeply. And I remember thinking like, wow, this is my husk. Like this is, this is why I care because this really, really speaks to me deeply. That was the first time I felt like I really encountered the importance of this. It's such a proof of the idea that when you show up to learn something, when you show up to the page, you actually have to bring your full self. 
And in order to bring your full self, you have to be self-aware and you have to be connected to yourself. So it literally makes like a godly argument for being in touch with who you are as a person, getting to know yourself so that when you are in a relationship with God, there's something there that's in a relationship. You have something to give. You have something to think about. When you learn something, you're not going to be able to actually integrate it into your life if you just learned it as this removed concept. If you learned it as yourself with your own mind and you ask questions based on your own upbringing, based on your own perspectives, opinions, hangups, to try to be able to incorporate it in a way that actually sat well with you, then the learning becomes something that can actually be transformative and that could allow you to eventually grow out of the husk. But if there is none to begin with, as you said, you either die from the sun or the rain. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy how much I felt like my experience matched that description. Like I'm reading the mimer and it's like the person's going to be cold and lazy. And I'm like, that's exactly how I felt. Like I just didn't care enough. I I didn't have the energy to push myself. I think it's also important just to put it on the table that obviously this can look so different for different people. You know, for someone who is more intellectual, it might be that. It might be an intellectual way of framing your relationship with Hashem, your purpose, your mission. But it can also be, I don't know, let's say you're one of these people who really likes to just get things done. Like you're a manager, you're an accomplisher, and you can start to see this as like the ultimate accomplishment. Like I am literally carrying out God's mission in the world. What bigger accomplishment could there possibly be than that? Or, you know, there's this story about a chassid. Obviously, I don't remember his name. I think he was a chassid of the Alter Rebbe, and he lived in Petersburg, which... I think in general, Jews were not allowed to live there unless you had a special permit. So you could imagine the type of people who lived there were business people or diplomats, like important people. And there wasn't a big Jewish community. So obviously it was hard to kind of stay on track. But this particular chassid of the Alter Rebbe who lived there was known to be a Bainani. I think the Alter Rebbe said about him that he was a Bainani. And I think someone asked him once, like, how do you do it? Living where you live and being surrounded in the environment that you are, how do you do it? And he said, before I do anything, say anything, or think anything, I think to myself, I'm a chassid of the Alter Rebbe. I want to be a chassid of the Alter Rebbe. That's who I want to be. Is this something a chassid of the Alter Rebbe would do? So that's Yeshus, right? This mm. is his self-image, is that he is a chassid of the Alter Rebbe. That makes him important. That, you know, that's how he wanted to see himself. That was his persona. But at the same time, with that, he was able to be a Bainani. It could be like as as kind of basic and visceral as that. Like, I want to see myself as a successful person. And what's the ultimate success? Is success in whose books? And I think it can also show up in smaller ways, like in a specific mitzvah or, you know, a mitzvah that you enjoy doing or that you connect to or a yamtiv. I know for myself lately, I actually recently started giving tzedakah every day. And it's one of these things that I always felt it's so easy and so obvious. So of course I should be doing it. I just keep forgetting. And I recently, I put a little container of coins in my kitchen drawer next to the pushka and I started giving one every day. And I've been finding it to be so grounding and centering. And I love that it's so fast. Like I don't need to have the mental space and physical space and time to you know sit down and take out a book and exert the energy to start learning and understanding in order to feel connected. Like it feels like it's my mm-hmm. lifeline, you know, whatever chaos yeah. is going on in my house, I can grab a coin and put it in the push gun. It's like my connection that I can just recenter myself and 
say a quick prayer of like, Hashem, please help me get through the next five minutes or please just help me feel centered through my day or whatever it is. And it just does that for me. And I, I love it. Now to get that back to the mushal, what I find meaningful about tzedakah and giving tzedakah every day obviously doesn't capture the ultimate reality of what tzedakah is. And obviously it would be important to give tzedakah even if I didn't find it to be such a grounding experience. But at the same time, the fact that I'm getting so much out of it is what's keeping me doing it every day. So you have those two sides of the coin again, where if it wasn't something I genuinely cared about and I genuinely felt like I was benefiting from and it was meaningful to me and it spoke to me, I wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't. But at the same time, I can kind of chuckle at myself a little bit when I think that my experience of tzedakah is really captures what tzedakah ultimately is or what any mitzvah ultimately is, right? Ultimately, mitzvahs allow us to express God in the physical world. That's way beyond, you know, my chaotic morning. But at the same time, right, you have to have both. Yeah. I like that. Like you said, that if the farmer becomes attached to the husk and he thinks the husk is the ultimate value of the wheat, then we have a problem. But if both are coexisting and you could acknowledge that my reality is not the ultimate value of this mitzvah. But my reality is important because it motivates me to show up every single day. And that's not a shameful thing. That's how Hashem created me. And it's beautiful that I'm finding joy and excitement and passion in this. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because like people that I look to as role models of people who I could either learn from as human beings or people who have really fused their identity as human beings with their relationship with Hashem are often people who are also different for whatever reason. I mean, we're all different, but they've really tapped into their topics that interest them specifically. As you said, it's not always intellectual study. Maybe they've explored hobbies that are interesting to them that their community doesn't necessarily specifically value, but they've really taken their own personal journey seriously. And then what ends up happening from my perspective is that you see this beautiful fusion of a person who is so tapped into themselves, so tapped into their souls that you know those people that it's like, I see your godly soul. Like it's you. There's not this like big disconnect. And often it coincides with people who also explored their own selves as a way of coming to that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you can really take this to any area. I mean, take it to learning chassidus. On the one hand, when we learn chassidus, it needs to feel relevant. At the same time, chassidus is like God's diary. Like it's his most personal secrets. If we think it's only worth learning because it's relevant to us, you know, that's a little, it's kind of like taking advantage of someone, you know? Right. So we have to see it as both. Like, you know, I feel so privileged to just hear what God has to say, even if it's totally disconnected from my life, right? Learning about Atsilas doesn't always feel connected and relevant, but there are parts of Chassidus that do. And it's seeing the value in both. Like if I don't feel like Chassidus is talking to me and it has something to say to me and it has something to offer to me, I'm not going to learn it. And what it has to offer me is real. And that's also part of what it's about. But it also does go beyond that. I think also just to carry this concept forward a few generations, if you go to like Basi Lagani of the Friedrich Rebbe, the Friedrich Rebbe talks about this idea of getting our animal soul excited about godliness. And in that context, when the Friedrich Rebbe talks about it, it's not kind of a necessary step along the way and a means to an end. That's the definition of dear betachtainim, right? Getting your animal soul and your human self on board and passionate and excited 
is the definition of God dwelling in this world and God dwelling within you. I wonder if you can suggest that in that sense, there is some intrinsic value to our husks, our personal husks, whatever they may be. That's interesting. I wonder. I mean, it has to be to some extent because God designated that as your husk, as the only vessel that your godly soul could use to express itself in this world. And disregarding the particulars of that vessel does you a disservice in actually being able to make a home for God in this world. Right. I guess it's like in the big picture, this husk is God's home in the world. In my personal picture, this husk is my path to my godly soul. Right. Oh, nice. And that's true that the, that according to the Tanya, the, the godly soul is within the Nefesh of Bahamas. It's within the animal soul. It's your, it's your only pathway forward. Exactly. Right. You have to go in. <laughs> exactly. And then you have to work with it. Okay. Menucha, can you give us any examples in your life where you prioritize this idea in your godly service? Current stage. Current stage. To be honest, my current stage is present tense requiring me to do a lot of rethinking how I approach my relationship with Hashem. I happen to be a more intellectual person and I always really did connect through ideas and learning. And I'm noticing that that's just not so feasible for me right now, both practically, but also in terms of headspace. I find when I sit down with a safer, I have less, less ability to focus and it's not what's doing it for me right now. And I've kind of had to accept that even though it I guess I didn't expect it and it doesn't fit with how I saw myself so much. That's kind of what part of what led me to the tzedakah is I've noticed that for me right now, really where I'm finding my connection is in really, really practical, physical, simple acts when it's like, this is going to give me my moment to tap in. And this is going to give me my, my lifeline. I've noticed this also with using the mikvah. Are we allowed to talk about this on the podcast? <laughs> Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, like just, I don't know, the physical preparations and then physically dipping in the mikvah. I always, not always, it, for a long time, I, I actually had a hard time with this mikvah. But lately I've noticed that I really find myself able to connect and to feel like Hashem is there for me in a way that I never did before. And honestly, in a way that I don't think I ever experienced through learning. And similarly, it's kind of a similar experience to the tzedakah, just I get to do tzedakah every day. And yeah, I mean, lighting Shabbos candles, just these really simple acts. Like, I guess that's, that's all my brain can handle right now, but it's really powerful for me right now. I feel it in my body, like literally like chills, because I feel like you just illustrated that concept of Yeshus coming together with Bittal in the most profound way, that the husk changes as life changes, and we're open to that changing. And I could, I could so understand how painful that would be if the intellectual aspect was always you, and this is what I needed to show up in my relationship with Hashem. And now that that's shifting and you're your Nefesh of Bahamas is evolving with your life. It's so beautiful. It's almost like you're becoming more spiritually mature in a way. And I'm sure that the learning will come back in different seasons. But right now, you're still able to find something that's speaking to you and and recognizing that that's important, even when it seems like, no, 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 this is the season where like I'm pushing aside who I am and I'm not tapping into it. No, I still am in a different way. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Oh, I love that. I really love that. Yeah, I guess it takes, it takes a good measure of humility to really ask ourselves, 
where am I holding right now? What do I need right now? It might not be what I want to need and it might not be where I want Mm. to be holding. But if I'm going to hang on to my relationship with Hashem, because that was really important to me in a real way, I'm going to have to reassess. Something that's so powerful about listening to ourselves is that if you're actually listening, like really, truly listening, then you're listening to the way that you're changing and you're always changing. So true listening to and really bringing your full self to the table means bringing your present self to the table and not the self that you want to be, not your ideal self, not the self that you were when you first became inspired, but me right now, presently. If I'm really being honest with where I'm holding, can I bring me to the table and my relationship with Hashem? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And this is also true with our relationship with the Rebbe. Just coming off of Gimel Thomas, I was thinking about this a lot. Like my relationship with, with the Rebbe, I can't figure it out at one stage and then just think I can just carry that with me without revisiting it. Because if the last time I felt like I had a genuine relationship with the Rebbe, I was 18 years old. And now I'm 25 years old. 25-year-old me is not 18-year-old me. So 25-year-old me has to have a 25-year-old relationship with the Rebbe. And what does that look like now? Mm. I like that. Allowing yourself to evolve. And actually, not even allowing yourself to evolve, but forcing yourself to confront where you are right now so that the relationships you have with your Yiddishkeit and with everything in your life doesn't become superficial and, and just a shell, but it's actually deeply connected to where you're holding. Yeah. And I mean, it's not easy because it's always easier to be on autopilot. And I, yeah, <laughs> I think once, <laughs> especially with like a newborn baby. Like, yeah, exactly. Autopilot for the win. <laughs> and also once you find something that's so meaningful to you or a way of framing it to yourself, that's so meaningful. It's so easy to think like, wow, I really figured it out. Like this is meaningful and I'm passionate about it and I'm excited about it. And we can almost just, I mean, I've noticed this. I almost not even notice that that doesn't speak to me in the same way anymore. And it can be years later when I'm like, one second, like, have I thought about this since then? Does that still speak to me in the same way? And like, what am I going to do about that? Yeah, I guess it's a constant, it's like a constant paying attention that's required to keep checking in with ourselves and keep checking in with where we're holding. And like you were saying, how we're changing and I guess doing the maintenance (laughs) that requires. Yeah. So that's, I mean, this is so necessary so that the relationship with God never becomes stale and stagnant and something that's being superimposed on us, as we said in the beginning, but so that it's like constantly remaining connected. So that constant paying attention is part of that. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, for sure. Okay, Manucha, ending off, I feel like we covered so much more than I expected to cover and how it, not just the idea that you have to bring your full self to the table, but also part of bringing your full self to the table means being open to the evolution of your life and your internal world so that you could show up differently in your Yiddishkeit when different things are required of you in your life. So it's beautiful. I would love for you to share some practical tips with me, with someone listening on how they could incorporate this idea into their life. Either someone who is not bringing, actually, I'll let you take it where you wish. I guess the first thing is to kind of keep your eyes peeled and your gut instinct on and just kind of look out for what talks to you in general, right? Where's your passion in general? Be in touch with yourself and notice what's talking to you and what's resonating with you. And also doing the same in your experience of your Yiddishkeit. I guess for that, you you have to engage also. You have to be engaging Yiddishkeit. You have to be learning or experiencing or doing and keeping that 
radar for where is the thing that I could get really hooked on. Mm. And then when you find it, run with it, right? Let yourself explore it. Let yourself learn more about it. Let yourself invest in it. Maybe it's like Shabbos. I was just reading this article on Chabad.org and I thought it was so beautiful. It was an article about someone who passed away from COVID. I don't know if you've noticed on Chabad.org, they have a whole section of articles about people who've passed away from COVID. Wow. And it was about this Satmar woman and her son was saying that she loved Shabbos. And she would wake up early Friday morning when everyone was still asleep. And like with tears in her eyes, she would be baking challah and talking to Hashem in Yiddish. And like, it was such a beautiful image, but it's like, she really connected to Shabbos, I guess. And she let herself run with it. Like she didn't just be like, okay, I love praying for Shabbos. Let me keep praying for Shabbos like usual. Like, no, she really let herself run with it. So I guess when you find that thing that speaks to you, like go for it. So beautiful. I have like a pit in my stomach of how, of how great that was really. So much to think about. Yeah. It's a concept that's not talked about so much, and it, it feels so central to just making Yiddishkeit work in our lives. Like, And I think that's what the altar is saying. Like, You can't do it without this. And yes, the bittel is important, and it's so real, and it's so deep and so true. But if you let it get disconnected from you, like you're floating. Like, There's nothing to hold on to. It's not sustainable. Yeah. Thank you, Manucha. Of course. Thank you. Thank you so much. What is the mitzvah that your soul loves? When and where do you feel most alive? How can you bring that thing into your Judaism? What would your life look like if you allowed yourself to invest in the mitzvah that lit your soul on fire? What do you love? Is it art, movement, knowledge, connecting with people? Have you made those things a priority? When you get a whiff of something that piques your curiosity, go there. It isn't simply that there is room for it, but that your Judaism cannot afford to be without it. These are the things that will tether you in your relationship with God. For many of us, those things are the difference between a Judaism that feels imposed on us by an infinite force and a Judaism that emanates from within our very own flesh. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find me on Instagram at the Tanya Project or via email at humanandholy at gmail.com. If you enjoyed today's episode and could take a quick second to leave a rating or review, it would be so appreciated and it helps other people find the podcast. And if you don't want to miss a single episode, they come out every other Sunday morning, then hit the subscribe button and you'll get a notification whenever a new episode is live. Thanks again, and I hope you have a wonderful day.